Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Looking live. Well, you're not looking because you can't see us, but you're listening live to Nashville, Tennessee. The SEC tournament gets underway tonight, and at least half of the show, Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey will be in Nashville for as long as Ole Miss and or Mississippi State stay alive. Right now, what I was told was sitting in a bar is Brian Haydad. Apparently, it's not a bar. It's just outside of a bar. I was about to quit my job and say if he gets to do the show from a bar, and I don't, I quit. Turns out that we're okay for now. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky here in Jackson with you. Brian Haydad checking in live from a hotel somewhere in the beautiful city of Nashville. The bar, I don't even think the bar is open. I, don't, I, don't, I think they're setting up for later. It's, 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 I'm not at a bar. Is Nashville on East Coast time or still Central? No, I'm on Central. I'm good. I'm on the good time. It's three o'clock and the bar's not open. Maybe I don't want to quit my job after all. I, I don't think I don't think it's open. The what guys back there working on some stuff. What kind of a bar's not open? At I mean, I can go. I can go hit him up. And, I, can, I can go hit him up and see if he'll pick, make me a drink, and I'll <laughs> tell you if it's open or not. We can really have fun without Richard for the last time in a while. Yeah, he's off today. Uh, last day of vacation for Richard. And he's coming back, getting ready for the stretch run in college basketball and the start of SEC play in baseball. Rippy just finished in Louisville. He covered the Ole Miss and Louisville baseball games. He is en route to Nashville. He and Haydad will be joining us together on the show, full show, for the rest of the week, uh, getting you ready for the SEC tournament in basketball. Uh, they will be joining us there. And I, of course, will be here in Jackson, which I don't have much to complain about, Haydad, because where I sit... The sun is out right now over my shoulder. It's 75 degrees outside. And I pull up my computer right before the show starts, and I see this tweet from a guy named Eric Holfaus, who's a meteorologist, and said there's a blizzard currently forming over Colorado that is at hurricane strength and forming an eye in the middle. The National Weather Service is calling it a cyclone of historic proportions. So at least we're not in Colorado. Uh, you know, I've always heard Colorado is gorgeous, too. Gorgeous! The Sunshine State. <laughs> Just uh, thank goodness we're not there, I guess. A lot to get with you today, in all seriousness, here in the state of Mississippi, where the sun is out and we're not experiencing a cyclone of epic, epic proportions. Ole Miss did lose to uh, both midweek games to Louisville. 10-8 uh, to eight was the final score today. They lost in extra innings yesterday, so close games, but a lot of problems came up. Uh, that manifested during those two games that we will talk about with Rippy at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. What is wrong with Ole Miss baseball right now? We'll dissect that coming up here in about an hour from right now. Mark Ingram, hey Dad, we talked about it yesterday. The Saints were moving on from him. Signed with Baltimore for significantly less than they were asking for four years, 
or three years, $15 million for the Saints running back to go to Baltimore. Yeah, somebody uh, overextended themselves, it appears. Yeah, that's the thing. And we'll we'll dive into this a little bit later on, but I recorded a podcast this morning. This is the second time in the short life of my podcast where I've recorded something, and two hours later, news broke that made my recording obsolete. So, it, happens. Um, it happens, man. It's part of the game. Yeah, I mean, I argued that the Saints moving on from Ingram was the right move because he was asking for 7 to $8 million, and Alvin Kamara's got two years left on his rookie deal, and you can't pay two running backs that kind of money. He comes down to get five. That tells me that when they went to the table, the Saints mm-hmm. made an offer, which reportedly is $4.5 million. And mm-hmm. Mark Ingram's agent said, no, that's not even close to enough, and then shopped him around, realized that and, he wasn't getting that, found and out. they had to settle. No one's paying a, a 29-year-old running back $7 million a year. Running backs at 30, that's the end. I mean, it just always has been, except for the truly, truly elite. And I like Ingram, but... Not the truly, truly elite. Good running back. Great running back. Not elite. Yes, sir. Uh, Which is funny that he's going to the, the Ravens then. Oh, for sure. And they don't have the offensive they, line. Or they the don't have an elite offensive. quarterback anymore, you know? Yeah, definitely not. Uh, the biggest news of the day in the NFL yesterday was the Odell Beckham trade from Cleveland to New York. They got uh, Cleveland got Odell Beckham in exchange for a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and Jabril Peppers, a former first-round pick. Everybody jumped on the Giants for making this trade. Is it as bad as people are saying it is for New York? The problem for New York, it, it's not this trade. It's the it's the franchise. It's what are they doing? They don't have a plan in place to replace Eli Manning. They have Saquon Barkley, who looks like he's going to be a great player. They have nobody else around him. They're not very good defensively. They just feel like they're floundering right now. And so this trade, you know, trading away one of the two superstars that you have, because Eli Manning, I mean, is still a superstar, but we all know that, his, that the, the day is coming very soon for him where he'll be off, the, you know, he'll, he'll retire. You just traded him away, and, I mean, yeah, you're getting a draft pick. It's, it's not a high draft pick. It's the 17th pick. It's not like you're going to go up there and, you know, pair somebody. I mean, you're probably going to, what, draft Dwayne Haskins if the sixth pick if they have him, if he's still there. But, I mean, who are you pairing with him at 17? I, I don't know. And, and Jabril Peppers feels like I mean, if the Browns gave up on him that quick, he obviously, you know, wasn't that great. And I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's more or less about this one particular trade and more about what the Giants have become over the past two or three years. Yeah, for sure. And uh, from the Cleveland side, the Browns, I mean, two years ago, were the laughing stock of the NFL and have been the la- laughing stock of the NFL for a long time. Five years ago, ten years ago, <laughs> keep going. Give me a date. I mean, even when they were actually playing good football, they still ghost fumbled into the end zone and couldn't beat John Elway back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've never been good, uh, been flat-out embarrassing, and now suddenly they're the most intriguing team in football. Are they the favorites in that division now? That's because what people the Steel- say, but... The Steelers are sort of you know, in that same situation. They just lost Le'Veon Bell. They've lost Antonio Brown. Uh, the Ravens, I mean, do we trust Lamar Jackson to, to step up a level? I mean, I don't know. They're still great defensively, and then the Bengals just sort of are what they are. The Browns could be the favorite to win that division. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely out on the Ravens, even with Mark Ingram. I, I just In the NFL, you've got to have a competent passer in order to succeed, and... Lamar Jackson last year just simply just wasn't at all. Right. Right. And, and you know, you, you can't be a one, one-dimensional teams don't win in the NFL. They just don't. It's, it's not like college where a team can just be really, really good at running the football and get by. You can't do that in the NFL. And, and 
Like I said, with the Steelers, I mean, they lost their two, you know, biggest stars outside of Big Ben, and, and I just don't know. I just don't see that franchise. And it, to say the Steelers are in flux, I mean, they've been so dominant in that division and really, you know, been the, probably the second or third best team in the AFC for the last decade, you know, and, and now it, it looks like the time for them to retool has finally come. Yeah, and I mean, if nothing else, we are inching closer to having the wishbone back in professional football, so at least we can, <laughs> we can all jump on that. Uh, we'll look at uh, the baseball slate coming up here in just a few minutes going into the weekend. We have been distracted, and rightfully so, because college basketball in Mississippi is, is fun again. Make college hoops great again. Maybe that's a t-shirt or a hat somewhere down the line. Uh, but we've been distracted. Conference play in SEC baseball begins this weekend. And it's snuck yeah. up on us this year. Yeah. I, it's just baseball this so far has it's, – it's, maybe it's because for Mississippi State, even though it's the team I'm covering, it's just gone so smoothly. You know, there haven't been any, any real hiccups. They're winning ball games. And it just seems to have just sort of gone by without a whole lot of, of concern. And, yeah, now you look up and, oh, you're traveling to Gainesville to take on Florida, who just massacred Florida State last night. And, you know, you're going to start conference play and, you know, you look around the SEC, I mean, Florida's lost some games. Vandy's lost a couple games this year, I think three. LSU is having struggles. They lost to Northwestern State. We've talked about Ole Miss just a minute ago. And if you're Mississippi State, you're looking there thinking, if we can go down to Florida and win this series, I mean, that's that's going to be a really great start. And all of a sudden, you put yourself in the driver's seat to win your second conference championship in uh, in four years. Yeah, and those the one-two punch starting pictures, pictures. Pitchers have already pitchers. been tested Pitchers uh, in Frisco. I mean, right. uh, those were two really impressive wins, but things do change in conference play, especially on the road in Florida. So even though it is – I mean, what's a better one-two punch in the SEC than Small and Gim? There, I, I mean, there's not my one. head, I don't know one, yeah. But they will get tested uh, in a big way coming up this weekend. Uh, Major League Baseball is doing some quirky rules experimenting with an independent league. So Major League Baseball is not affiliated with the Indy Leagues, obviously. That's why they call them independent leagues. But they struck a deal with one of the Indy Leagues, and they are doing all kinds of rules experimenting, including moving the mound back two feet, making the bases bigger. I hadn't heard all this now because I've been on the road all day. Yeah, so we're going to dive into that and tell you exactly what Major League Baseball is experimenting with in this independent league, considering maybe doing it themselves really weird stuff we'll get into that later on today as well we'll look at the sec tournament tonight in hoops and a whole lot more coming your way michael borky and brian haydad live from a bar in nashville (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with you this afternoon Uh, really looking forward to the show rippy will join us here in a little bit a lot to get to and a little time to do it we will start with baseball next at sports talk in the renaissance bank studio if you want to be a part of the show, you can this afternoon on the Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. You won't be charged for it. Send us a text message. It's good enough. We'll read it on the air, but please do so safely. Don't text and drive. Or if you're on Twitter, you can't do anything on Facebook right now because Facebook's and Instagram, since they're the same thing anymore, uh, have been down for the last few hours. So you can't send us a message on Facebook, but if you have Twitter, send us a tweet at Sports Talk Miss, and you can be a part of the show that way as well. Hey, Dad, I've seen a lot of people freaking out uh, about Facebook being down. I wonder how much money they lose an hour 
when they don't function. So let's say it's been down for five hours. What does that mean in actual dollars for Facebook? I don't know. It probably means that Zuckerberg's other industry, harvesting human souls, has to pick up the slack. (laughs) I mean, what would you guess? Honestly, hundreds of millions an hour? In in, in an hour? Ah, That's probably too much. Hundreds. They're probably losing four or five million an hour. So in five hours, they might lose 25 million. God. That, That seems low, though. I don't know. That's a good question. If only Darren Ravel were a part of the Sports Talk Mississippi family, he could tell us exactly. Here's a quick Google search while we're on the radio. This just popped in my head. We're usually a little bit more prepared for this. Uh, how much money? This feels like the podcast now where me and Joel are just like, what's the answer to that? Let's Google that. Stay with us while we while we look. How much money does Facebook earn per day? How's that? That, that, that We can figure it out from there. Oh, this is giving me numbers from 2004. Was the internet even a thing in 2004? I don't want that. I can speak from experience that it was, but it was much slower. In 2012, they okay. were making a million bucks a day. Okay, so yeah, it's not that bad then. They're going to lose maybe 34. If you, for inflation, they might lose 100 grand. Here's a more accurate number. 40 billion in revenue in 2017. So that's, 40, that's a lot of division. Divided by 12. Carry the th- that's 3 billion a month. Okay, so that's uh, 100 million a day. Give All or right. take. Yeah, and so that's then, 2017. Yeah. So then there you go. So they're, they're, they are losing. They're, they might lose. A few million bucks an hour. Yeah. That's got to suck. Yeah, that has Not for to, us. No, not for us because we are using uh, uh, we're using the text line. And, and Mike and Grand Base is earn or take in. So uh, this is revenue. So not net profit, $40 billion in revenue in 2017. Yeah. Probably just like a piddling $20 billion in in profit, you know. Yeah, and in 2018, they did $13.2 billion net, according to this one article that I pulled up. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but that's about what Facebook makes, and them being down is costing them real dollars. I wonder how many people they have fired today. At least one. Because when websites go down, usually it's like they're down for an hour. You know, yeah. Down for 45 minutes. How long have they been? How long have they hours been? Hours now. Multiple okay. hours. Like five hours I've been hours driving now. the whole time. I, haven't, I, haven't been, I was not aware of this. And then when I got here, I posted a video to Twitter, and I po- tried to post it to Facebook. It's not showing up, and I was told by our our uh, fearless leader that Facebook is in fact down. Yeah, a few texts here. At what sparked this conversation? Jeff, uh, apparently a Giants fan, says we need to hand Dave Gettleman a pink slip. He's screwing around with our franchise. I would wait, and we'll talk about this more in depth later. I would wait to be outraged until after the draft. If they don't use these two first-round picks in the way that makes the most sense, then be outraged. But if they go get Dwayne Haskins in an elite offensive tackle, it's all good. Elite. It's got to be the right Let's one. See. But if they do that, I think that's their best strategy with these two picks moving forward. I'm interested to see the next mock drafts that come out from guys like Dane Brugler and Daniel Jeremiah to see take this trade into account and see what the Giants can do. and I'll, I'm, That'll give us a better idea. Yeah, because nobody's looking for a quarterback anymore. No, I mean, there's and only... It, there's only two. There's only two that you can – I mean, I don't even – no, I take it back. I, I wouldn't feel completely good about Kyler Murray. I just don't. So Haskins and – and honestly, with Haskins, I'm just like, he's the best of a bad group, in my opinion. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're Arizona, who's going to take Josh Rosen off your hands? Somebody is. I don't know who. And it may the be Dolphins. New York. The, Dol- the Dolphins need to do that and leave – and they're trying to get back in the Bridgewater thing. You leave Teddy B alone, go get Josh Rosen. That's what you should do if you're Miami. 
Dan in Charleston says Kermit Davis being named SEC Coach of the Year was a well-deserved honor. Yeah, especially after the Will Wade getting suspended thing. Yeah, um, that, yeah that it was almost went a foregone conclusion, but it was also, like you said, very, very well deserved. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying it three weeks ago, wasn't I? Yes, Richard you were. was like, oh, I won't earn it. And I'm like, it's it, he took the team that was pretty, not just last. They were, I think, they were last on every ballot at SEC Media Days. They except were for maybe one or two, and they are going to the NCAA tournament. That's coach of the year. That's what a coach of the year does. Yeah. Not a guy who was picked to finish first and finish second. Right. As good of a coaching job as Rick Barnes has done, it kind of it went to Kermit Davis by default, especially because of the the wiretap situation with. But Will it Wade. was, and it's sort of funny. It was by default, sure. I mean, because I guess Rick Barnes could have won it, but I mean, I don't know. He finished third, but at the same time, yeah. It was. It was. It was going. Kermit Davis deserved to win that award. He did. On Twitter, Graham Trucking says, refreshing that Facebook is down. Hopefully it stays that way. As long as I can hear you guys, I'm all good. We will be your Facebook if you want us to be your Facebook. We'll start coming up with cockamamie political theories. <laughs> we'll put some minion memes out there for you. Uh, I'll show you some pictures of my kids. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we can do conspiracy theories. Borky like- will, will do the pictures of his dogs. Oh, for sure. I yeah. love. I mean, I've got... My phone. Sports Talk Mississippi book. You know, we could have fun with that. We could. Like Richard Cross was actually born on Mars, and that's why he wears those ugly suit coats that he does. Hey, don't don't hate on his fashion sense. He's going to buy me a suit in a few months. Make sure you pick it out. Because whatever he wore last Saturday, I forget what game he was calling, but whatever that... I'm going to walk into this this tailor on the squaw in Oxford. And I'm like, do you have how much maroon frat fabric do you have? We're going all maroon, pants, sure. jacket, tie, everything. I'm sure they can work something out. I'm just saying, yeah. Richard's sport coat that he had on last Saturday it was, was, it was cut from a comforter from a really sketchy Airbnb. That's pretty rough. I, I think Richard has a good fashion sense. No, he does. He really does. Uh, he, does like, he dresses a heck of a lot square. better than I do. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. So let's look at the, the slate of baseball games this weekend. We do start conference play in baseball this weekend, although Hayden yeah. and Rippey will be in Nashville for the basketball tournament, which actually means something because we have teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I have to think if this year was last year, Rippey and I would be headed. Uh, he would be in Oxford, and I'd probably be headed to Gainesville. Probably so, yeah. And so we'll start there. Mississippi State at Florida. I mean, State has been tested. They have a yeah. series win over what will be a good Southern Miss team. Yes, they lost mm-hmm. five in a row. That will be a good Southern Miss team at the top of the Conference USA. They went to Frisco and won two games against two really good teams. Yeah, and beat Texas Tech. It's different now, though, going to Gainesville and Florida. Huge test for Mississippi State early. Yeah, I agree with that. And Florida, you know, maybe the most consistent program over the last five, six years in the SEC. Of course, they got, finally got that national title couple of years ago they've sort of taken the moniker away from lsu of, of the the best program in the conference vanderbilt year in and year out's pretty good but they were a little down last year in florida they just keep trucking on uh kevin o'sullivan you know mississippi state fans know him they love to hate him uh and you know it, this is not i wouldn't say this is a rivalry per se but there's no love lost between these two teams and there hasn't been for basically since state went down to that super regional in gainesville in 2011 um 
And this is a good test for Mississippi State because Florida, despite the fact that they've lost some midweek games and they've lost some other games here and there, they're still Florida. And if you go down there and win the series, this is – and I take you back, I mentioned the SEC championship. In, in 16, when State won the SEC title, they won their first few series and, we, and everybody who was around the team, fans and media, were all like, well, they're, they're pretty good. But they got that trip to Florida. And when they, we go down there, that'll bring everything back into balance. And then they went down there and took two of three from Florida. And that's when you knew, okay, this team is going to have a great chance to win the conference championship, and they did. This week, it's, you know, it's the first weekend of the season, so you, I don't know how much you can draw from it. But if they go down there and win that series, you can draw enough to say this team's going to be there all year long. Ole Miss is welcoming Alabama, which after losing two, what ended up being close games, they were getting blown out today, made a late charge. It wasn't enough. Uh, having Alabama come to your place after losing two tough games in Louisville has got to be a welcome sight. It is, but... At the same time, Alabama's been playing better this year. They're not; they're probably the second worst team in the conference. Now, that's not saying much when eleven teams are ranked. So you're only talking about three teams that just aren't that good. And Missouri's really not good. But Alabama, you know, they're they're not bad. Ole Miss needs these wins. They need to find some pitching. They need to find a way to get the ball over the plate for strikes because their hitting will take care of itself. The hitting is going to be there. Yeah. And first inning errors defensively. Just killing that team. A lot of problems. We'll talk to Rippy about those here coming up. And uh, about 45 minutes from right now, you can hear a deep dive into that as well as a preview for Ole Miss in the SEC tournament. For now, we're going to turn the page. There's an update in this Will Wade story. It's really interesting. He was going to meet with LSU and tell them everything. But and, then. But then LSU was going to invite the NCAA to that meeting. Will Wade said no. He got suspended. More details next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. As a reminder, Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank and all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. It's really good to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. A lot of moving parts here on this show, but we're doing it all for you. So we've got Haydad right now in Nashville. Rippy on his way to Nashville to both cover Ole Miss and Mississippi State in the SEC tournament. A lot of moving parts, a lot of stuff going on, but we're glad you're with us, and uh, we're glad that there are no technical difficulties with Hey Dad <laughs> sitting at a bar having a bunch of beer right now in Nashville. I, I, all right, now I'm going to go get one. Now, now you, now <laughs> that tears it. I'm going to go get one. One of these days, I wish they would let us, even though I don't know if the FCC would be very happy about that, but. As long as we you don't say anything, you're allowed to do. They don't know what you're doing. I could I could be hammered right now. I could be shooting Jägermeister, and you wouldn't know about it, except for the times when I gag. <laughs> a few texts here before we get into this Will Wade story. So a couple of you say that Facebook is working for you. Sounds like they've got it back together, but it was down across the board. Instagram didn't work. Facebook didn't work. Oh God, and, not Instagram. Oh no. What are those influencers going to do? Uh, Amanda from Pike County says she loves your Ray Romano impression, and John in Crystal Springs says, "Don't forget that the senior PGA Tour, the uh, PGA Tour champions now is what it's called, will be on the coast here in a couple of weeks." Yeah, the golf profile in Mississippi is really good, and it's I, I moving up. I grew up outside of the state. I really, to tell you the truth, didn't know much about Mississippi before I moved here. Uh, back in the fall of 2010, so I, I've been here for almost a decade now, but I didn't know much about Mississippi. I definitely didn't know about its golf profile, but you've got now a master's bid, $4 million purse PGA Tour tournament here in Jackson, and the Champions Tour has been on the coast for a while, so 
really good stuff for the state. And if you're a golf fan like me, uh, it's good to hear that these kind of things not only are here, but are growing and thriving uh, as as they exist currently. So really good stuff. If you want to be a part of the show, you can. 601-879-4395 is the text line. Uh, please do so safely, but we would love to hear from you this afternoon. All right, hey, Dad. I I don't know if you're sick of this story or not. The, this Will Wade thing continues to unravel. So the representation of LSU and Joe Oliva uh, actually gave some quotes, talked to the advocate, the Baton Rouge advocate, uh, in a story that was released today, and they basically gave their side of the story and updated us on this Will Wade situation. So I, I made some bullet points. It's a long story. We're not going to read it for you. Uh, but basically, here's the update that we've got from the advocate on Will Wade and his status at LSU. Will Wade will not be back until he sits down with university representation and answers their questions. He was going to do so when the story came out last Thursday. He was going to sit down with LSU and tell his side of the story until LSU informed him that the NCAA would be sitting in on this interview. Will Wade is doing the smart thing by not conducting that interview with the NCAA president. He would do it if they weren't uh, involved in it. His attorney said that he would talk about the allegations once the FBI investigation ends. That trial that he is supposed to testify in will begin on April 22nd, and Lord knows when this investigation will end. We think it's over. We think they're moving forward, and more layers continue to get unraveled here. Javante Smart could return during the SEC tournament this week. They're saying maybe even as early as Friday back to the team, pending the outcome of an internal investigation, which they expect to conclude at some time this week. Smart and his mom both spoke to LSU. Both are cooperating with the LSU with LSU with the NCAA, they're talking in some capacity, and there are people that are close to the program that think that he can return to play as early as this weekend, which is incredibly fast for NCAA purposes considering the implications of what was said on that wiretap. It seems optimistic at best for me. I don't... Like, like you know, you, it, the people of this state know better than most the, the, the time that the NCAA can... Can take to decide things. Um, so that said, I will be surprised to see Javante Smart this weekend in Nashville, uh, and I, I will also be very surprised, incredibly surprised, to ever see Whit Wade on the side. Whit Wade, Will Wade, on the uh, sidelines of, of the LSU Tigers ever again. Shout out to Whit Wade, though, the people's professor here at Mississippi State. Real quick sidebar: I've got to get this text in. Mike from Grand Bay says Facebook down. Somebody needs to see if there's a spike in psychology visits. <laughs> Uh, a couple more things from this story, this update from The Advocate today. Uh, the university, in their internal investigation, identified two others that might be involved or implicated as a result of this wiretap. Both of them, even though they're not identified, are cooperating with the school and the NCAA in their internal investigation. LSU officials have also been meeting with the SEC office on this because the SEC apparently had their head in the sand when we found out months ago that Will Wade was on a wiretap discussing payments to recruits. They're mad now. They weren't mad then. And finally, LSU is claiming that they only suspended Will Wade because he would not talk. If he if he would have spoken to them, they would have considered not suspending him. I think that's a load of crap. 
he was getting suspended regardless, and they just wanted to get him to go ahead and take the fall for everybody. The meeting was to suspend him. They were bringing Absolutely. him in to tell him man-to-man, face-to-face, you're suspended. But he didn't show, so they just decided to do it the other way. Any takeaways from this supposed update from the LSU side of things? I mean, not, they, they're working with the surprises. NCAA now. I mean, that, that's, that was my big thing is they invited the NCAA in here. I mean, they're in lockstep with them, and I mean, maybe they feel like they have to do that, but maybe that's what I'm wondering. If maybe you know they know what's on the wiretap, or they know some other stuff is buried, and they're like, we or we're going to have to cooperate if we decide to to play to play hardball. They could really hammer us. And that's the only thing that makes sense, right? I guess so. We, again, as we have learned, cooperation doesn't seem to get you very much these days. So I mean, they told you after the Missouri thing. The representative from the Committee on Infractions, after they hammered Missouri for a tutor doing some work for some athletes, a reporter asked the spokesman, are you saying that it's better to not cooperate? And he said, that's one way to put it. (laughs) Uh, You know. I mean, they're telling you don't cooperate with us. Yeah, snitches, you know. Something like that. I mean, Missouri gets hammered because a tutor's doing work for some students. North Carolina gets off for having fake classes for years. Because they told them no, and Missouri told them yes. Get a text here from the 662 that says, what about the other schools involved in this? And that's a really good question. Because there have been what, hey dad, two dozen schools or players from two dozen schools in one way or another named in this situation. And really it seems like the focus is on Louisville, Arizona, and LSU. Otherwise, it seems like either it's being undercovered or Mm -hmm. being kept really, really quiet what the NCAA is doing about the other schools. But there have been no suspensions. There have been, well, late new suspensions. There were some. A couple Auburn players had to sit. A Kansas player had to sit. No new suspensions, no new firings, no new investigations as far as we know. Seems very quiet on that front. Yeah, and I think most teams around the country would prefer to keep it that way if they could. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got a couple big fish in the pan with, with, with Arizona and LSU. So, you know, maybe it's one of those situations where the NCAA is like, look, if we just, you know, a couple of teams here have to take the brunt of this. But beyond that, if we can avoid – because, because at the end of the day, as we all know, if they wanted to, they everybody could get nailed. They could nail every team from top to bottom, from A to Z. So I wonder what that is. is it like from Akron to, I don't know, Youngstown State might be the last one. Um, yeah, I don't so think there's me, any Zs. Not off the top of my head, no. Akron is the Zips, though, which is, in, which is an interesting coincidence. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how much more is going to come of this. Uh, I You know, we, we heard a few weeks – or maybe a week ago that they had talked about that Creighton and TCU might be involved now. Mm-hmm. We'll see where that takes us. You know, Creighton's a big basketball school, always has been. TCU, Jamie Dixon is there. They're, they're a tournament team this year. Interesting for me is, you know, there was so much fat, uh, focus on, on Adidas when this first started. But now LSU and Creighton and TCU are Nike teams. So it doesn't look like it's it, – it certainly doesn't look like it's limited to one school. It's not limited to one shoe brand either. We get a text here from the Alex in Starkville that asks, is this why Nick Weatherspoon is sitting? No. Um, no, that, that is not. Uh, no. As far as as far as we know, it's not that. Um, it's not 
a a legal thing and it's not an NCAA extra benefits thing. So find right. whatever it is in the middle and, and you can figure it out from there. But it is not due to the FBI investigation at all. That, that, that is correct. Real quick, uh, running out of time here, Billy Kennedy has been let go from Texas A&M. He went to two Sweet 16s in four years, and that is not good enough in Aggie land anymore. He has been shown the door. Not surprising. I mean, it's been a sort of you know a sl- slow decline for them in the past couple of years. They were one of the top teams in the SEC, what, two, three years ago? And now this year they're, they're playing on Wednesday night uh, in the SEC tournament. So sort of had to happen, and, and there you go. Let's talk some baseball. Brian Scott Rippey joins us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team where he's leaving Louisville, headed to Nashville, uh, where the Rebels dropped two rough games in Louisville. Close games, but looked really ugly doing it, Rippey. Yeah, particularly to today's game. I thought yesterday, yesterday they got a bad taste in their mouth because they got off to a bad start. But I, I thought yesterday's game was actually a, a kind of a well played game. I mean, both teams tested well. Ole Miss just couldn't come up with enough towards the end. Today, obviously, much different story. Houston Roth does not get out of the first inning. They make an error. They give up five combined five runs in the first inning after getting off to you know, we were kind of gifted Ole Miss a two to nothing lead on a couple walks and wild pitches. And they weren't able to do anything with it. The, the overall theme of this to me, kind of after this game and getting out of non-conference play, is Ole Miss behind Louisville is not getting nearly enough out of its starting pitching. Real quick, we I have to read this text uh, from the six six two. It said in Mississippi, it's a thousand dollars to be a felony. Uh, a felony. I know because I'm the prosecutor. <laughs> That's the guy who would know. That, that's the guy who would know. So I guess these uh, these people that were texting from experience uh, got kind of a bad deal. Well, it could have gone up in recent years. Yeah, maybe so. I'd probably take that guy's word for it. Yeah, I yeah. think you, you would be the one who knows. Thank you, by the way, for, for listening to us and putting up with us. Glad uh, we're a part of your day. Please don't arrest me. I'm a good kid, I think. <laughs> anyway, back to baseball. Rippy, so what do you think the issue is with uh, – Starting pitching, starting pitching, because outside of Etheridge, and they've kept him limited because of that blister. Not very good starts on the weekend. Nikhazy has shown a lot of promise in a couple of losses because he's received no run support. What's the issue? I mean, not to be simplistic about it, but I think the issue is they're just they haven't been good with their starting pitchers on the mound behind Etheridge. Now, as you mentioned, the Casey has I think he's acquitted himself well. He ends up going six innings yesterday after having a tough first inning where I think he gave up what he gives up two runs and then one comes later. But he really pitched pretty well. And that was only Ole Miss's second quality start was McKaysey going six innings yesterday. Now, some of that is misguided, as you mentioned, because they haven't stretched Etheridge out since he got the blister on opening day. But the, it, it still kind of backs up the overall point is that they're not getting anything out of the third pitching behind him. And the other quality start was Zach Phillips on Saturday against UAB, and even he had to come out and overcome a rocky start. I mean, he was a batter or two away from it kind of being over for him on the weekend, but then he retires 10 of his last 11 and looks fine doing it. So, you know, I, I have to think that McKaysey ends up working himself into the weekend rotation somehow, but with Zach Phillips kind of putting it together last weekend against UAB, I'm not. I'm just not sure where he fits in now in the rotation. Uh, speaking of McKenzie, that is, I'm not sure where he is. But you have to think with 
he's been kind of the most consistent guy behind Edwards. So you think he ends up with the slot somewhere. Well, yeah, and Louisville, I imagine, is by far the best team that they've seen so far this year. And uh, he had he had a mistake pitch that led to a two-run home run. And the third run he gave up was not his fault. It was an error in the field that would have been the third out in the inning that led to that run getting scored. So, I mean, holding Louisville, the best team you've seen, to two runs is far more impressive than the other weekend guys have shown, even when they've been better. Yeah, and his midweek start last week or two weeks ago, I'm not running together now. (laughs) Was East Carolina. East Carolina, and he pitched pretty well there, too. Uh, you know, I, I thought he accorded himself a little more. He didn't get some help in the field. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, you would think. I mean, that's that's becoming their most consistent option behind Etheridge. But it, it's a weird dynamic because Hoagland and even Phillips with his last start have, like, shown enough flashes that it could work that – I understand that they hold the status quo this weekend, but again, if they struggle this weekend, I think you're going to have to make some changes. In fact, I thought this would happen last weekend against UAB, and some changes would come, but they were Hoagland and um, and Phillips on the back end were good enough to where, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the rotation stays the same. What has to be done this weekend to, to make a change? Or can these guys save their spot in the rotation at this point? I mean, it is just oh, Alabama, I I, and, and hey, that mentioned earlier, they are improved. It's a, it's an SEC team, but, I mean, it's not like you've got LSU coming to town this weekend. Well, no, I, I think I think they definitely can. I mean, if, if Phillips does what he does against UAB, against Alabama, and, and goes six innings and, and is good for them, you know, I, I think obviously he'll stick around. And then Hoagland's an interesting dynamic, because on Sundays in the SEC, you just need to be good enough to give your team a chance. So if he puts together five innings or four and a third without, you know, gets a quick hook and only gives up a couple runs, then certainly, you know, I just see them sticking with it. It's just, it's really going to be a matter of kind of how they pitch. You know, I don't think it's going to be directly a result thing. Obviously, if they get both get shelled and give up five or six runs and are out of there midway through the third or fourth, obviously that's a different story, but it's really going to be interesting how they pitch. We get a question here on the C Spire text line. If and if you want to ask a question, go for it. 601-879-4395, uh, asking about Greer Holston. So he he had a rough fall. Um, he's dropped a great deal in velocity. And for, it is my understanding from, from talking to people that it's, it's he's just out of place, you know, velocity, and I think maybe even mentally, too, that he's just not in a place to help the team. And that's really kind of, in some respects, I'll give Mike Bianco a little bit of credit in terms of he's kind of piecing this together as he goes, because if you flash back to last year and rewind to last May, Jordan Fowler took a huge step forward for this team, um, particularly late in the year. And so with Fowler and Holston, you're thinking, you know, you might have two weekend starters there, maybe one and a really strong middle glory guy. And he's gotten virtually nothing out of either one of them. So that's a large portion of this, is, is he's working with pieces that he didn't think, you know, he's not getting anything out of pieces that he was really probably counting on heading into the season as being crucial guys and, and maybe even weekend guys. And then you throw in the fact that Ross is kind of still overcoming the lingering effects of a sprained AC joint in his non-throwing shoulder, though Mike Bianco told me today that he felt fine health-wise. It's just kind of an interesting mix right now on the mound. You mentioned to me earlier something about trimming the bullpen. What do you mean by that? Is that as simple as just finding a select few guys that you bring out of the pen and that being it and that's what you ride with? 
Yeah, I think so because I think he's he's put a couple guys out there that that haven't necessarily shown enough to maybe justify some of the innings they're getting. And by trimming the fat, I just kind of mean finding four or five guys and, and key roles for them and doing like. Max Chovey's been good, largely. Austin Miller's been good. He was a little shaky. Both of those guys were a little shaky today. You know, you, you think you know what you have in Gracie in the back end. He looked a little better this past weekend. But just kind of tuning some of those roles and, and, and sticking with, you know, three, four guys that are going, you know what you're going to get out of them every time. Uh, speaking of roles, we'll, we'll turn the page to the offense now. Um, struggled a little bit early yesterday. I think the top of the lineup went 0 for 17 in the game. Did the same thing today. Louisville was giving them a bunch of walks, a bunch of free bases, couldn't capitalize. Ended up scoring eight runs in the game, though, thanks to a couple of home runs and uh, late-inning clutch hitting. you got a freshman playing DH right now, and he seems to be their best option. Yeah, and I don't think – I wrote this after the game, too. In, in this particular loss, in this particular series, I don't think the op- offense is absent of blame here because, as you mentioned, Louisville walked – 13 guys and hit a batter today and won the game. And Ole Miss only had, what, three runs, and I think it was six hits going into the eighth inning. So through seven innings, you know, they helped Ole Miss out a lot and you didn't have a ton to show for it. And it's, just, it's been different parts of the lineup that have struggled, right? Mike Bianco put in Kevin Graham last weekend and gave him a start against UAB to kind of spark the bottom of the order, and it's worked. He's been really productive. And then, he, and then the top of the order kind of struggled yesterday, and then really the whole lineup struggled today through the first couple innings. So it just it hasn't been very consistent. Though the offense has been good enough, like I would I would describe it as the obviously the starting pitching is the overwhelming issue, but the offense hasn't always been consistent with it. We'll continue on this conversation next, uh, talking Ole Miss baseball, and we'll turn the page to a little basketball as well as Ole Miss and Mississippi State get started in the SEC tournament tomorrow. Rippy is en route to Nashville. Hey, Dad, already there hanging out by the bar, having a drink or two. I'm just kidding. He's not really doing that. He's on the show with us. I'm I'm going to get one for real. For real, I'm going to get one. Sports Talk Mississippi, stick around. Just a quick heads up for you. Mississippi State baseball's got a midweek game against Grambling tonight, and Depending on what station you're listening on, we will lose some of you to air that Mississippi State game. So if you're in one of those listening areas, there's five stations that will be affected by this. Find us online, supertalk.fm slash listen. We will continue going live for the rest of the show. Or you can download our app. Just go to the App Store, Supertalk Mississippi. You can find it there. So if we if you do lose us and, and you're in that listening area, for Mississippi State baseball and you don't want to hear the Bulldogs take on Grambling, those are the two ways you can find us and continue listening through the rest of the show this afternoon. And we'll bring back Brian Scott Rippey here on the Farm Bureau guest line. So, Rippey, there's been, uh, on this Ole Miss front, in case you're just joining us, we've been talking uh, Ole Miss's two losses to Louisville as they go into SEC play. Alabama comes to Oxford this weekend. Then a lot of tinkering with that lineup. And part of it is because they have a lot of bats, a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. Do you anticipate any kind of solidification of that lineup? Because, I mean, you've got a guy that appears to be head and shoulders above, even though he's a true freshman at the DH, moving a lot of parts on the infield or in the field in general. Should they solidify that batting order? Well, I think so. I think you might see some things become more concrete because they're not getting – a whole lot out of Tim Elko and Chase Cockrell 
And I think particularly Cockrell, because Elko did have a home run today at Raiden the game. He hit that ball a mile. But he's really, he, those two have really struggled. And you've seen Kevin Graham really, the more and more they reward him with playing time in the backs, the more he's produced. And so I, I, I think the more and more he hits, you're going to have to kind of keep looking at him in, in that designated hitter role. And, and kind of conversely with that, you've seen Anthony Servideo play more outfield. And he's playing a lot of right field, but, but in the outfield in general, and, and him and Adams at the same time, because obviously going into the year, he, you know, it was kind of who's going to take the second base job, Jacob Adams or Anthony Servideo. And you're reaching a point where I think maybe their best option is playing each of them every day, because having Servideo as good of speed and as good of an athlete as he has, your outfield becomes better defensively, and Jacob Adams is still producing at the plate, and he has fine range at second base. And so I think you're seeing it become more molded and, and more concrete if, if, if Graham keeps producing and you kind of keep seeing those two guys produce in, in Adams and Servideo. Is there any cause for concern with, I mean, the, the two best teams they've played so far this year have both ironically been in the midweek with East Carolina and Louisville. It's only three games, but the sample size is, especially at the top of the order, I mean, that team almost got no hit against East Carolina. And yesterday we're 0 for 17 at the top of the lineup. So is there any cause for concern, or is it just kind of that's baseball and the offense is good and talented enough to not worry about it? I think I think both can be true in some ways. I think you are concerned because it's kind of been proven that that, that this team's I mean it's cliche, but Kryptonite is is soft tossing left handers and really just kind of left handed pitching in general they've struggled with. So I think there is concern there, but some of it is just baseball. Um and I, you know, the offense has shown enough and has shown the explosiveness to change games in a hurry. And I always think it's going to be good enough over the course of this season where, you know, if the pitching does round into form, they'll be okay. But I definitely think there is some concern there, particularly with regards to their inability to hit left handed pitching. Alabama coming into town this weekend. I asked Haydad this question earlier. I'll ask you the same thing. Uh, got to be a welcome sight to start SEC play with them, where inversely, Mississippi State's got to go to Gainesville. And really, the schedule differences in conference play between Ole Miss and Mississippi State are pretty vast. I mean, State's got a tough road ahead of them. It's always tough in the SEC, but Ole Miss does catch a bit of a break on the scheduling front. They do. They they caught a break in some of the East teams they dodged and some of the East teams they caught. And then I don't think you could really drum up a better start for Ole Miss, particularly with the state of the team and them trying to figure things out. With Not only starting with Alabama, but your first road series is Missouri. I mean, that that's about as good as they could have possibly asked for. And like I said, particularly for a team still trying to figure it out, not that these games aren't tough because, you know, most old games in the SEC are going to see high-level arms, high-level talent, but you're seeing two of the perceived weaker teams in the conference as you're still trying to kind of kind of hunker some things down, particularly on the pitching front heading into league play. Let's turn the page to basketball now, and, and I guess you're in route to Nashville now. Uh, you and Hey Dad are going to be hanging out this weekend, and apparently Hey Dad's already got your dinner plans made, Rippy. Heck yeah, we're going really? to Kid Rock's. Big honky tonk rock and roll steakhouse. Let's go. That sounds right up my alley. Honky tonk. It's not a real place. I am telling you that it is a real. It's place. It's a real place. Again, Kid Rock's big honky tonk and rock and roll steakhouse. I'm not gonna lie. I thought you made the name up too. 
<laughs> it's real. Well, those are two different things, aren't they? That's like saying I'm going to a uh, R and B and country bar. Like two, it's a little bit country and a little things. bit rock and roll. Yeah, but but steak. It's like grilling a steak at a Kenny Chesney concert. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Chesney has his own musical identity issues. Is he Jimmy Buffett or is he Merle Haggard? I mean, you can never tell. He, he's whoever the uh, the best team in college football is. That's who he is. There is a SB Nation, I think, is the one that does it, but does the Kenny Chesney fanhood tracker? Yeah. Where, because he's always wearing different jerseys of whatever team is really good at the moment. And it's up to like 40 now, where Kenny Chesney has either said, I've been a fan of this good team for a long time, or he's out wearing their jersey or t shirt or something. It's in the 40s of Kenny so, Chesney's new favorite team. So he's basically like football's version of Drake. So I must be mistaking him because, like, who's the who's the big Oklahoma guy? Is that Toby Keith? I thought it was Kenny yeah. Chesney. Yeah. Okay. He also has restaurants. He does. What would our restaurant be? What would Sports Talk Mississippi's restaurant be? What would we serve? Oh, God. You you guys are pretty, you guys are pretty plain Jane <laughs> over there, so I don't know. It'd be like a cereal uh, bar, <laughs> like liquor only on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't get a coke with your whiskey, sir. Neat only. Yeah, no mixers here. Yeah. So, Rippy, on the basketball front, uh, I did an interview recently, and, and they simply asked the question, Ole Miss got smoked by Alabama and Tuscaloosa during the season. What will be different about this game tomorrow for them? Or will um, it be different? Well, I think it'll be different in some respects. The end result, like in its simplest form, might not necessarily be different. But I don't envision them getting beat on the glass as bad as they did and kind of getting bullied inside as bad as they did in Tuscaloosa that night. Miss also shot the ball very poorly that night. And then you had Terrence Davis kind of get the emotional technical towards the end of the first half. And it just really felt like things spiraled very quickly for them. So I don't see it playing out like that. That being said, Alabama is not the greatest matchup for them, particularly with the way they kind of are really physical inside. And not to mention, it's a really desperate Alabama team. They have to have this win. And so, you know, it's interesting because you go back and forth on it. Does Ole Miss, on the surface, really have a ton to play for in the SEC tournament? No, but they do exactly in the regular season strong. And so I think there's something to be said for kind of maybe winning a game or two and, and playing well. But overall, I think Kermit Davis would, would take just getting out of this tournament healthy. Yeah, I mean, you would like to get off of that 8-9 seeding matchup, but I looked at the bracket matrix today, and most people have Ole Miss as a 9, so even if you improve your seeding, you're probably still in the 8-9 matchup facing that one seed in the second round if you can get there. Yeah, and the only real way to jump up to a 7, right, is to win tomorrow night and to beat Kentucky, and are you really even sure that's enough? And obviously, how likely is that to do in the first place? So, yeah, I mean, there's a loss. I mean, I guess it would depend on what happened around them. But, but doesn't it seem like more likely in a loss they would bump to a 10 as opposed to anything they do productive-wise, jumping to a 7 to get off the 8-9 line? For sure. Well, Rippy, thanks a lot for uh, pulling over and taking some time with us today. Be safe getting to Nashville and try to keep Haydad under control. I've heard some rumors about him when uh, – he gets a little alcohol in him, so just make sure he doesn't get arrested again. I mean, uh, uh, make sure he doesn't get into trouble. 
It might have to be the other way around, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. That's Let's uh, find out what happens when the blind lead the blind tonight. <laughs> That's Brian Scott Rippy on the Farm Bureau guest line. No, hey, that has not been arrested as far as I know. To my knowledge. Yeah, to his knowledge, too. So, uh, no, they will both be covering the SEC tournament. If you haven't been to our website to, to see the kind of work that those two are doing, that's a mistake on your part. We're not just a radio show anymore. We do a lot more than that. Hey, Dad and Rippy are covering the team like beat writers. But you don't have to pay a subscription for it. You can get it for free. Supertalk.fm slash sports. Follow them on Twitter. You can find their articles and their videos and their podcasts and their work there as well. It's really good stuff. We're not just a radio show anymore. I encourage you to go check it out because they are doing real quality daily beat writing work. And it's free to you. Supertalk.fm slash sports. Talk some Mississippi State SEC tournament as well as Major League Baseball doing some bizarre rule experimenting. I'll tell you what that is next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We are Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you this afternoon. So I posed the question, and I probably should have expected the subtle burn that Alex and Starfield just, just gave us. I said if there was a Sports Talk Mississippi bar or restaurant somewhere what would we serve? And he said the Sports Talk Bologna Bar and Grill. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good choice for us. A lot, get, of, a lot of bull. We get the Roadkill Cafe, and this one from Josh that I actually like. Hmm. The Sports Talk Mississippi Grilled Cheese Pub. It, intellectual property stays with Josh, and then I, I will be his partner because there is nothing like a good grilled cheese sandwich. I'm not talking about just bread and cheese right. and you heat it up on both sides i'm talking ones with bacon in them have you been to the place in birmingham i, I have it's not called, uh, melt i think it's the name of it oh man i don't know what the name. i gotta i gotta check that now we, i ate there a couple years ago it's fantastic we gotta get one of those here the sports talk mississippi grilled cheese pub melt, yeah josh if you want to start that be our seed investor we're all in buddy I mean, that that sounds um that sounds really good i might make that I've got the house to myself tonight. I might make that oh, for dinner. Yeah. Just make it yeah. an insane grilled cheese with bacon and like pulled pork and stuff on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a that's a fine choice. Pour something on top of that. Uh, so SEC tournament. We just heard from Rippy and Ole Miss's side. They have a, a pretty difficult game and a team that smoked them earlier in the season. Coming up tomorrow night, Mississippi State. We don't know. We have no idea who they are playing. But well, to tell have, you the we truth, we have some idea. We have it's going to be either or. Guess. I, 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 it, technically, it's either or. In reality, it's it's Texas A and M. Yeah, but A and M firing their coach, they might just be in. Let's get out of their mode. I don't know. That is a basketball game that, I mean, even if you're getting paid to watch that, they should double yeah. your salary. If there's hazard pay involved, if you got to cover that game, and everybody be working emotional in the arena, trauma. like the security guards. I mean, yeah. at that point, you don't even. That's one of those games where if you're the SEC, you don't even have to buy a ticket. Just please come in. Just please. Yeah. <laughs> buy, buy a hot walk dog. Walk in on the street. Something. Sir, yeah. sir, come inside. Free free popcorn. Hey, do what uh, what they do at, at bars on Bourbon Street, right? Where, yeah. where they like get in front of you and say, hey, you want to go in there, right? Yeah. Right? Exactly. We have to get around them to force Just them in. Just don't say, you know, big or huge beers because then there'll be a lawsuit. Yeah, apparently so. So, uh much easier game for Mississippi State, regardless of the outcome of tonight's game, right? Should be. Should be. I, I've learned at this point I don't take anything for granted with this team, but when the right team shows up, and the team that showed up 
during the five-game winning streak that showed up in non-conference play, the team that showed up on Saturday against Texas A&M. When that team shows up, they'll beat anybody, just about anybody. The team that showed up, you know, the first half against Alabama on the road, the team that showed up second half against Kentucky, uh, that showed up uh, for, for the, the South Carolina and Ole Miss games to start conference play, that team you got to worry about. So, you know, if State's mind is right and everybody's locked in, then, yeah, they'll, they'll go out there and they'll win with ease. But if they, they aren't, then that Texas A&M can make it interesting, assuming it's A&M, which I'm going to. Yeah, that's probably what we're looking at. An interesting dynamic with this Mississippi State team is veteran leadership. And they time, those guys have never played in an NCAA tournament. So yeah. you've got – I mean, they have experience in this setting. They've got experience in Nashville in the SEC tournament, even though – where was it? Kansas City last year. They've got experience yeah. in this one, but none Same in the next team. one. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the funny part is – Normally, when you're like yesterday, we talked to Reggie Perry and Robert Woodard, and and you know normally with a team, you're you're asking the freshman, hey, first time around for you in the NCAA tournament, what are the veterans telling you? The veterans don't know anything about the NCAA tournament, so I you know I don't I guess almost all of the leadership at this point for not in terms of what's happening on the court, but you know what to expect during this this time frame has to come from Ben Hallen, who has as much experience in the NCAA tournament as anybody. So that's a good thing for Mississippi State to have. You know, it'd be one thing if they had a you know a young coach who was you know his first trip to the tournament was Mississippi State's first because then the, that might strike you as a as a bad situation because you just don't have anybody with any real experience. Ben Hallen has all the experience, and I, he'll he'll he's the guy who I think has to sort of you know keep the boat steady through the next coming weeks. Bradley and Marietta text in and says he checked the odds and a hundred dollars on Vanderbilt to win the tournament gets you thirty thousand dollars. You should put a hundred on them. I mean, if you can, if you can afford to burn a hundred dollars, that's 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 the you know the, the the value of that bet is is too great to pass up. Okay, let's play this game. I give you a hundred bucks. Who are you putting it on? Kentucky. Basically at home. Yeah, I mean, wherever Kentucky goes, Catlanta, Catsville, Saint Cat Louis, Cat Orleans, <laughs> Cattingham, I don't, you know, Campa, Catma Bay. I, it doesn't matter. Caxonville, <laughs> they're everywhere. So you haven't been in Nashville very long. Have you seen the swarm of Kentucky fans, or they have just one they? on the elevator with me on the way down from uh, from my room when I checked in? Okay. That was it. That's, that's all I've seen. But I haven't. I have not left the the the, the campus of this hotel yet. I admire I the here, passion checked of, in, and then that's it. I admire the passion of sports fans. I really do. It's why I get a paycheck. Is because but, you guys love sports. But. There's a butt coming. But what on God's beautiful green earth are you doing as a Kentucky fan in Nashville at your hotel on Wednesday? Nashville's a cool town. Nashville's a cool town, but you don't play for two more days. Well, just come in and enjoy it. Maybe you're a big fan of college basketball. I don't know. Here, we've got, we've got, we've got all the odds here. Let's see. Is there one that I like that makes sense? Auburn at plus 400, I, I'd be all That's in not on. a bad one. Mississippi State at plus 12 is actually really not good bad. value. Not bad. It's crazy the jump between Florida and Ole Miss. That that seems a, like a big jump. Florida is at plus 1,400, so you bet 100 to win uh, 1,400. And then Ole Miss is plus 4,000. They're the next one. Yeah. Really there's tough not that draw big of a difference. Rebels. Yeah, it is, but there's not that big a difference in those two teams. So... No, it took an overtime win in Gainesville for Florida yeah. to, to be the better team. Yeah, so I mean, I, I get the, that Ole Miss might have the tougher draw, however you want to look at it, but 
that's just a. I mean, it, it goes. It's it's twenty uh, twenty six hundred more dollars. That doesn't make any sense. A couple more texts here. Uh, Chris in Starkville was at Kid Rock's bar last week. He said it's real and it's awesome. Well, there you go. And Richard and Wiggins said he's sinking his nest egg on the Cleveland Browns winning the Super Bowl. I would slow my roll on that one, Richard. Just, well, maybe let him play a few games. You could still get good odds week four or five. Yeah, hang on to that nest egg, man. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy who's, you know, telling his wife, hey, <laughs> I bet on the Cleveland Browns. My wife doesn't know anything about sports, and she knows that's a dumb idea. <laughs> All right, let's turn the page. Uh, so I'll run through this quickly, and we'll, we'll go deeper into it after the break here. Major League Baseball. We've talked about this a good bit in one way or another. It has done some rule experimentation. They know that the landscape is changing, that people's attention spans are getting smaller, and they know that shortening games has paid dividends for soccer for the NBA, even for the NFL. The NFL games, you know you're committing three hours and ten minutes to. On average, three hours, ten minutes, and they hit that almost perfectly every Sunday. Baseball has been taking too long, and the trend is people don't watch as much long sports, college football included. The longer you keep people, the less likely they are going to watch the full time. So they're trying to shorten the game. We've talked about this a lot. These rule propositions are a little bizarre. So what they're doing is they're not doing it in the minor leagues. Uh, They're not going to do it in spring training or at all during the regular season. What Major League Baseball did was partnered with an independent league, this one being called the Atlantic League, which is independent of Major League Baseball, hence the name Independent League, to use experimental rules in exchange for new equipment, new technology, exposure, that kind of stuff. So they struck a deal with an independent league And here are the six things that they are going to do differently in the Indy League to test whether or not they will use it in Major League Baseball. So I'll go down the list for you quickly, and after the break we will digest them a little bit. They will expand the bases by three inches. So instead of 15 by 15, the bases will be bigger. They will be 18 by 18. That doesn't sound like it's going to be a big deal, but I feel like for people who've played baseball their whole life, it's going to be a big deal. Injuries, sliding in, more space to tag, that kind of stuff. They will prohibit. They're going to prohibit mound visits. If you take a mound visit, the pitcher has to come out. A prohibition on mound visits. Can the catcher come out there? The catcher can. The coach cannot. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. A three-batter minimum for pitchers. Don't like. A prohibition against shifts. Don't like. A shorter period between half innings and pitching changes. Sure. And a radar-enabled strike zone. Don't have a problem with that. And then they will also, halfway through the season, move the pitcher's mound back two feet. That feels like it's going to be huge. If it, yeah. That feels like that's going to cause injuries. Yeah, and that's not a proposition. That is what they are doing in the Atlantic League this year by partnership with Major League Baseball to test it to see if it works. And if it does work, they're going to implement it in pro baseball. We'll digest that next. Tell us what you think about it. Text us, 601-879-4395, or send us a tweet at Sports Talk Miss. Bigger bases. No more mound visits. Three batter minimum. No shifts. Shorter period between innings and pitching changes. And a radar-enabled strike zone, as well as a two-foot longer 
mound from rubber to plate. Tell us what you think. We'll digest it next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Real quick, I want to get to this before we continue on this baseball conversation. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. So if you're listening to the show yesterday, you heard us talk about the biggest scandal so far in college sports that I can remember because of the, well, I say biggest. How about most random scandal that you could think of where Aunt Becky, Lori Laughlin, was arrested in part of a massive scheme to get uh, high school students that were too dumb to get into good colleges. Uh, they bribed coaches or bribed test administrators to either falsify test scores or have somebody take a test for them to get into school or bribe a coach into pretending that this player, well, not a player, this kid was a recruit to get them lower academic standards to get them into school. There were many schools, Southern Cal, Stanford, Wake Forest, Texas, Yale, San Diego, I think there's a couple more, UCLA, I think. Anyway, those schools were named in in this big scheme. The SEC was noticeably absent from this, and the one good thing to come out of this story is Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt University and their supposedly high academic standards uh, actually prevented them from being a target in this... Wednesday afternoon in Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you this afternoon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. All guests join us on the Farm Bureau guest line, and if you want to text the show, you can on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. If you're just joining us, just now getting off work, getting into your car, we were having a conversation a little bit earlier about these rule propositions that are actually going to go into effect in an independent league via partnership with Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball in the Atlantic League have come together. The Atlantic League is an independent league, so it's not minor league baseball. It's not the farm system. It is an an indie league. I've had a good buddy that played independent league baseball. It's just minor leagues that aren't affiliated with a Major League Baseball club. MLB has promised to give them updated technology, equipment, and special scouting of their players in exchange for them implementing a series of rule changes. Here are the six quickly. Well, there's seven actually, but six to start the season are the bases will be bigger. They'll go from 15 by 15 inches to 18 by 18. A prohibition against mound visits. So if a coach visits his pitcher, the pitcher has to come out a three-batter minimum for pitchers, a prohibition against defensive shifts, a shorter period between half innings and pitching changes, and a radar-enabled strike zone. Halfway through the season, they're going to move the mound back two feet. And hey, Dad, you were not a big fan of a lot of those, and either were most of you. We got a bunch of text in. Bradley and Marietta talking about the defensive shifts. He said they're just mad because somebody had enough sense to study whether a person has a tendency and put a player in his way. Absolutely. If you don't like a shift, hit it the opposite way. Right. Bradley. There's no no other way around that. Yeah. Thanks for uh, listening, Bradley. A text from the 601. Wayne in Meridian says, can you guys explain the three batter minimum? I don't get it. So what they're saying is if a pitcher goes into a game, he has to face three batters. 
They can all hit home runs. He can strike them all out. He can walk them all. A three-batter minimum is a pitcher, a new pitcher, has to see at least three batters before he can come out of the game. So bringing in a righty to face a righty and then immediately bringing in a lefty to face a lefty is over in this situation. In this situation, yes. Bob in Pontotoc says uh, he does like the extra innings that I guess the minor leagues did it for a while where they put a runner on second base starting in the 11th inning. Ghost runner. Well, it wasn't a ghost runner. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real runner. I'd, I'd rather it be ghost runner. It's more fun that way. And Bob adds, no matter the dimensions of the plate, the umpire will still set his own. Yeah, good point. That's true. David and Soche says, give pitchers an earpiece. Hey, if quarterbacks can have one. I mean, I get that. But we're talking about the whole infield. Sometimes you bring the infield in. You want to discuss, you know, some strategy. I, I just, I don't, I don't like the idea that, you know, like I said, a, a timeout makes sense to me. You get maybe two a game where you're allowed to call timeout, and you're, you can go to the mound, and you don't have to make a substitution. Jimmy in Hattiesburg says, on the mound moving, fastball changeup won't really be affected other than you'll have just another tiny fraction of a half of a second uh, to right. see the pitch. But he thinks uh, the grips and the arm angles on breaking pitches will be severely affected. Another question about the mound visit thing. What if there's an injury? Can a trainer go out there? They didn't specify in this article that I'm reading from, from I mean, the Washington I mean, Post. Know, he throws a pitch, something feels a little wonky in his arm. You want to go out and have a word with him? Are you okay? You know? That, that you, gotta, you, get, you, can't, you can't take that away. I don't think that you can do that one. That, that of all of these, and I don't like the shift one and I don't like the three batter one, but that one to me makes the least sense. Stan and Charleston said the experiments are just dumb, so what if a game lasts four hours? Get another text from the 662 that said, on those baseball propositions, if the idea is to shorten the length of the game, then I think moving the pitcher's mound back two feet is the wrong idea because that seems like it's going to offer up more walks, possibly affect the velocity, at least somewhat, and allow for more hits. Speaking of hits, not allowing shifts which cuts down hits will allow more hits. Both of these ideas seem to be leaning towards lengthening the game instead of shortening the game. I, uh, put your You're name on that because that, that was a really well thought out text. Uh, You're onto something there. Yeah, yeah. So, so drop us your name. We'd love to give you some credit for that. That was really well thought out. And if we, you don't uh, drop us your name, I will take credit for it, and and it'll be my idea at that point. And, and Richard and Wiggins asked if the test subjects, the the players in this independent league, will be getting compensation for this. Um, well, they they're out, pros, right? Well, outside of their salary, they the Major League Baseball MLB has promised they will get increased scouting for their league. Independent leagues don't get scouted very well for Major League Baseball. There's a reason they have their own form system. All right. But MLB our good, has... Our good problem. idea came from, uh, from Bruce and Saltillo. Oh, thanks, Bruce. I will make sure to, to save that. We won't do anything with uh, that number, by the way. We just put your name on it so uh, you don't have to identify yourself every time. But uh, I th- might text you if I'm lonely. <laughs> I, I might. I can't promise that I won't. Uh, yeah, we will... Uh, well, we're glad you're listening to us. That was really well thought out. Uh, but, Richard, yeah, that that's... And the players, I promise you, are going to love it because they don't get scouted very well in the Indy League. Uh, so Major League Baseball stepping yeah, in and promising point. additional scouting is huge for them. Yeah. Those guys Yeah, those guys are probably like, we'll go up there with a Nerf bat if we're going to get additional scouting. Oh, for sure. Better chance to get to the majors. So. I like the automated strike zone. Because I... Well, and I'm not go a baseball back, Go back to what we just said, though. Go back to what we just said. The guy, the guy who said the umpire is going to find his own strike zone. How? If it's automated, 
It's going to be like umpire's yeah. just sort of there. Is he going to get like an? Is he is he going to have an earpiece and he's going to hear a buzz strike? I mean, how does that work? Is he just there to call, you know, guys out at the plate? Yeah, that that's that would be they would be there to call outs. Um, I think the perfect execution of this would be to have a red and a green light behind somewhere uh, on the backstop, just like they do in hockey. I don't know if you notice this in hockey. There's a guy, and maybe they don't do it this way anymore, but I know a guy used to sit behind the goal, and if the puck crossed the goal line, he would hit a button, and a red light would go off. Yeah. So just they have, have that for uh, they have that for soccer too. They have goal line technology. Yeah. yeah. So just have a red light and a green light. If it's a strike, the second it hits the mitt, the technology's that fast, lights up green. If it's yeah, a ball, okay. lights okay. up red. So the, so the home plate umpire just is just there to call guys out at the plate. He's going to have a pretty slow day. I mean, how many outs at the plate are there in the average game? Maybe yeah. one. I uh, I'm a big fan of that, and, and I'm not a baseball purist, so maybe I'm not the guy that you, that you want to hear from on this. I hate. I hate, in principle, the concept of somebody that is not a player in the game deciding the outcome. And yeah. if, if a bad call, a bad strike three call, or an umpire that really likes it inside is affecting the outcome of the game, I don't like that. If you can eliminate that from the game, I support it more. I only want the players determining the outcome. I don't want an umpire with an axe to grind on a player who – showed him up earlier by not liking a third strike call and so he gives right. him I don't like that stuff. If a no, player no, thinks right. that it's ball that it's ball four and he takes off and the umpire just calls it a strike because the player took off before he had a chance to make his call, I hate that crap. Yeah. Umpires have, with egos. I'm, is I'm bad a big believer baseball. that if you if you go leave the batter's box like you're getting a walk and the umpire calls a strike, you must want to even pick up your bat. You're gonna get called strike three. Doesn't matter. That pitch could be in the dirt, could be over your head. That's called strike three every yeah. time. You can't show up the umpires. So this would take care. That would take this out of the uh, the equation. Richard and Wiggins said, "Hey, Dad, if you ever text him when you're lonely, he will set his phone on fire and strike it with a hammer." Richard is apparently not a fan of yours. <laughs> Richard, I'm texting you right now. What are you talking about? Let's, Robert Oak Grove does make a good point. The home plate umpire would have to look for tipped pitches that the technology probably yeah, won't pick. Up. That's good. That's a good. That's a good call. Call outs and wild pitches and clean the plate. <laughs> yeah, you do have to keep the plate clean. I'll give you that. Mitch and Jackson said if a pitcher faces one batter in an inning and must face two the next inning before being taken out, wouldn't that also have the potential of lengthening games? It could. Uh, it could. Especially if you wanted to change pitchers in that uh, inning. Yeah, especially if you bring in a righty to face a righty and the next two batters are left-handed. I mean, you're sort of setting the table for more hits there. Gary and Meridian asks about the shift. He said, will the players be placed on a dot? So here's how I think they're going to execute this. That's a good point, too. Uh, the article didn't specify how they're going to do this, but I think what they're going to do is draw an imaginary line from home plate to center field and will say on the infield, you're only allowed to have two players on the right, two players on the left, and that'll right. be it. The shortstop has to be between second and third, is what you say. And the third baseman has to be on third base. Yeah. Lisa and Clara says uh, home plate umpire will still call foul balls and hit batters. Schaefer yeah, in, in Canton said, would taking away umpire heckling be a good idea? <laughs> hey, you can't no, in no way anymore. would that be a, a good idea. And also no taking away from catcher framing the pitch. So, yeah, pitcher's got to make a pitch now. Can't rely on a catcher that's really good at framing it. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing, though, I think. And James in Hattiesburg says the rules seem to be more in favor of more runs rather than speeding up the game. 
All good points. Glad you guys were with us today. Glad uh, to hear from you. If you want to be like everybody who's texted in, you can do the same. 601-879-4395. Ton of engagement today. We really appreciate that. I'm going to flip the page, though. Mark Ingram signed with the Ravens for a lot less than people thought he was going to. What does that mean for the Saints? We'll discuss that next in Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Free agency news in the NFL has been huge over the last couple of days. Odell Beckham Jr. has been traded, not a free agent, but has been traded to Cleveland in exchange for a first round, a third round pick, and Jabril Peppers. You had Le'Veon Bell sign his deal, and Mark Ingram has signed his deal. And Saints fans I've seen on social media and other places are furious with how this shook out. Latavius Murray signed with New Orleans, or at least in greed and principle, yesterday, and most assumed that it was because Mark Ingram was out the door and the Saints and Ingram could not agree on a deal. The reports were that Ingram was going to, to get, expected to get between seven and eight million dollars, likely from Baltimore, but there were other suitors for his services. He does sign with Baltimore, but for significantly less. Three years, $15 million. You can do the math. Five per year. And a report very soon after that came out that said New Orleans' offer was 4.5. Saints fans were furious to let him go for a measly 500 k a year and replace him with Latavius Murray, who is getting about 3.5 per year. So, hey, Dad, when you saw that he signed for that little amount of money, what was your thought? I don't know that disturbing is the right word or upset because I understand the business and I understand that from what it seems like that they they bluffed. Ingram's people bluffed. And they got their bluff got called and, and they lost out on the deal. My guess is that Ingram probably would have preferred to have stayed in New Orleans and worked out something there. But he had been convinced that he was going to be worth six, seven million dollars a year. And now he's not. And by that point, when the Saints realized, you know, okay, well, if that's the way it's got to be, it's the way it's got to be, and they moved on to sign Latavius Murray, it was too late to go back. So, you know, here's what I, here's what I think, and I, I forget who tweeted it today. It was one of the many. I follow a ton of Saints beat writers. But they said, if you're worried about this, just remember names like Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory, Tavares Cadet. I mean, the Saints make running backs work. They find running backs that can fit their system and be productive. And on top of that, you still have Kamara. Right, and the best offensive line in football. So, yeah, I understand why people were upset because Mark Ingram has been with the Saints since 2011. He's been really good. He's a really good dude. People in the city like him. The fans really like him. He's a good locker room guy. Yeah. But the way I look at it, even with the reported lesser number, this is still the right move for the Saints because – you have Michael Thomas coming off of a rookie deal in a year. You've got Marshawn Lattimore coming off of a rookie deal in two years. Sheldon Rankins is coming off of a rookie deal in one year. Alvin Kamara is coming off of a rookie deal in two years. You're going to have to pay all of these people big-time money. Michael Thomas saw what Antonio Brown got from Oakland. Michael Thomas is going to command big-time money, and the Saints have to give it to him. Marshawn Lattimore is going to get big-time defensive back money. Alvin Kamara... Watch what Le'Veon Bell just signed for. Yeah. He's going to get big-time money. You cannot afford to pay two running backs feature-back amount of money and have balance on your roster like they currently do. 
They're incredibly balanced. That's what makes them so good. You cannot put that much money into your backfield. And like you said, they bluffed. The reason the Saints didn't reach a deal with Mark Ingram was because they offered 4.5. And Mark Ingram's agents countered with a significantly higher number than what he signed for. They bluffed. They expected to get more. When they didn't get more and realized New Orleans already went to plan B, they had to panic sign with the Ravens for significantly less. The running back market is not very big, especially for a 30-year-old. You're not going to get big-time money for a 30-year-old running back in the NFL. The market dried up. New Orleans called your bluff. They signed a guy who is the same age. He's a little bit bigger, not near as productive, but a very good former pro bowler, complimentary back in Murray. Yeah. And they called your bluff, and you had to panic sign. It, It sucks, but that's business. And Mark Ingram should probably be pretty frustrated with his agents today. And, you know, this isn't even the biggest story right now coming out of New Orleans. It's that somehow it seems the Dolphins have gotten back into the game to get Teddy Bridgewater. We thought that the the Bridgewater era was upon us, you know, maybe a year from now in New Orleans. But now it seems he is meeting with people in Miami, and uh, that deal could get done. So that's a big deal for the Saints uh, if it goes wrong. Yeah, But also, I'd like to point out, that this is whenever something like that happens with the Dolphins, I get to be reminded that I am blocked on Twitter by Joe Shad. What did you do? I, I, I know what he did. I know what I did. He made a he tweeted somebody wasn't going to play in a Mississippi State game. I forget who it was. It may have been Dak, to be honest with you. Uh, it was the Texas A and M game in twenty thirteen, and I just said something like, "Yeah, good call," because the guy played. I think it was. Dak. I'm pretty sure it was Dak. He and, blocked uh, you for that. A beat he writer, for that. and at the time he was national, blocked you for that. Yeah, blocked me for that. So, Joe Shad and Stone Cold Steve Austin, two of my Twitter blocks. Yeah, well, I, I've i never blocked anybody on Twitter, but mm-hmm. I had a guy who was angrily sending me messages yesterday because in gist, just lighthearted yesterday, I said the Saints are Mississippi's team because there are more Saints fan in, fans in Mississippi than any yeah. other franchise and two of the most beloved saints of all time are are Ole Miss players yeah which also helps and uh, my friend on Twitter his name is Chris I'm not going to say his last name because I don't need to it's going to be difficult to search your best mentions but go ahead he said me said to me yesterday you need to stop calling the saints Mississippi's team because it's not true even before dark there are a lot of Cowboys fans in Mississippi even now before Dak and I'm tired of hearing this come out of your mouth Okay, Dad. And he said, Saints fans were basically non-existent or lived in Mississippi. And then he questions how long I've lived here because I've been here 35 years and been an NFL and Cowboys fan for 25 years. So like I said earlier, come with concrete proof or not at all. He then added me and said, Richard, you don't hear Richard saying his favorite team is Mississippi's team. Come with proof or don't say it on a radio show. He said, he continued, he's very mad at me said, you can't come with proof because it's not true. Mississippi has a bunch of fans of different teams like the Cowboys, 49ers, Green Bay, New England, and yes, the Saints. But I know way more Cowboys fans than any other team in the state before this or before the Saints won the Super Bowl. He seems like he'd be a lot of fun at parties. Yeah, he was very upset with me. So here's what I said back to him. I found three maps. I see what you got here, yeah. Yeah, I found three maps. The first one is each county in the United States was color-coded based on what official team page has the most likes on Facebook and the state of Mississippi, with the exception of the two northernmost counties, 
are Saints counties. I also found a map that shows Google search data. The entire state of Mississippi searches for the Saints more than any other professional football franchise. And finally, ticket sales. More Mississippians buy tickets to Saints games than any other NFL team. So spare me with that nonsense, my friend Chris. Come at Borky. Come at him and see what happens. You get crushed by facts. I just if, if that's the thing that bothers you so much, you need to kind of look in the mirror, man. I mean, I'm just a dude let's, talking on the radio. Just, and, we're just guys being dudes here. Yeah. Let's just let's just calm down, everybody. Calm down. Calm down. The next layer to this Bridgewater thing, by the way, mm-hmm. is if he does go to Miami, guess who comes mm-hmm. to New Orleans to play quarterback? Yeah, I just saw that Ryan Tannehill. Ryan and Tannehill. So they're just going to trade backup quarterbacks. I don't, know, I don't know about that. I don't like Bridgewater better. I really like Teddy Bridgewater. Real, real quick, by the way, I want to go back to your friend. Buddy, if you're a Cowboys fan, they're America's team. That's what they call themselves. Yeah. Show me the proof of that. I mean, what are we talking about here? Never mind that. I'll buy into the Cowboys or America's team. Yeah, Robert Note Grove says, just look at the stores. They also sell Saints gear, not Cowboys gear. Yeah, I mean, of course there are Cowboys fans here. A you lot can of find them. a ton of Cowboys gear, especially you up can. here in Starkville. You know, you can find it. Every time I go to the bar on Sunday to watch the Saints, there are Cowboys fans there. They're, they are here, and because Dak Prescott was the greatest player in Mississippi State history and is now a starting quarterback for the Cowboys, it only heightens that. I'm just telling you. Cowboy fans here. And I know a lot of people who are casual NFL fans who have made the switch from whatever team they like to the Cowboys because of that. Sure, and understandably so. It's awesome. And it's probably a lot closer than I give it credit for, but um, go Hattiesburg South. That is Saints country, my friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anything south of uh, yeah, anything the Pine Belt down to the coast. Just like there's a lot of LSU fans there. I mean, yes, sir. You know, that's just... That, that area is just basically another parish of Louisiana. And you've got a bunch of Alabama fans here in the state because there are people that just want to latch on to winners even though they have no I used no to work in Columbus, to. and I'm telling you, Alabama is the most popular team in Columbus, even more so than Mississippi State, which is you know, 20 minutes away. I wonder how many of them have ever actually walked inside of an academic building at Alabama. Le- less than you think. But you know what? You need those are the kind of fans you, do you need, need to become a power. Yes, sir. That's Absolutely. why Alabama's a power is they have fans everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with being a fan of a school you didn't go to. No. I, I'm just being a jerk right now. Well, that's it. We'll hear from Scott Berry next. In case you missed it earlier this week, we caught up with Coach Berry. We'll play that for you right now. I know Southern Miss fans have asked me for that. Got an email this morning asking to hear that interview again, so I'm going to give it to you. Uh, Scott Berry was kind enough to give us some time getting ready for their big weekend to start conference play at Louisiana Tech. Also a big, big week game tonight against ULL. You'll hear that next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.